<laughs> yeah. Uh, super excited this morning just to uh, be um, sharing the Word of God with all of you uh, in this series called Everyone Has a Part to Play. And this morning we're going to be looking at the gift of faith in prayer and in worship out of James 5. So if you want to go ahead and turn to James 5 in your Bibles or your Bible apps, that would be great. And um, I'm going to uh, now uh, do a, yet another food-related illustration to make you hungry um, while you sit there. So I'm sorry ahead of time. But um, I was thinking about our dinner table the other day. And my wife, Erin, who is not here, probably checking our kids in or doing something, um, she's an amazing cook. Um, there she is. She heard her name being mentioned and had to come running. So she's an amazing cook. And we have had shared a lot of amazing meals um, at our table. Um, one of the meals we had that, that um, takes some time to make is uh, jambalaya. We made jambalaya the other day. and It was very, very good. And yeah, it was very tasty. And, um, but for those of you who are parents, um, maybe you know that your kids sometimes do not appreciate the time and labor that you put into making these amazing meals for them. Um, so I'm going to put up some pictures of some meals that we have served our kids. These are not our meals. These were stock photos, so don't get... Okay, so though that looks really good. That makes me want tacos right now, doesn't it? So we've served brisket tacos to our kids. We've, we've, we love making brisket tacos, and they are delicious. Um, we've served that to our kids. Uh, we've served burgers. We've grilled burgers for our kids and, um, you know, uh, made homemade, sir like, sriracha mayo sauce and, and try to really, really be bougie with it. Um, and, uh, you know, you grind up the butter in the, you freeze the butter, you grind it up, you put that in the patty. Very good. Um, all right, and then uh, what's the last one? Uh, we got some chicken parmesan, which is one of our favorites, and we've served that to our kids. But I'm going to show you one more picture in a second. Don't put it up yet. Um, this is what our kids would 90% of the time rather have than any of that. So go ahead and show that last picture. Um, yes. <laughs> um, to them, that is gourmet, baby. Like, it is just, mm, it is chef's kiss. Like, they want it. Um, I don't care. We've put food, and, I, and I'll walk back through um, the dining room after dinner, and I'll see just the, the spoils of war laying there, the food that they did not eat. And I'm like, that could be my lunch tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I say all this because uh, as I was preparing, um, and you can take the white bread off, I guess, now. Um, it won't make any of us hungry except, I mean, all the kids are out of here now. So, um, But um, I say all this because I was, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about um, the goodness of God and how he gives us good things. He gives us good gifts. This is a series about spiritual gifts. And these gifts, as we've talked about, are not gifts to be used for us. They're not gifts for us to open in a closet and play with and, and be like, this is mine. They're gifts that are meant to be given to other people, to be used for the common good of the church. And I had the picture of a, of a dinner table, of a feast, where each one of you are bringing just beautiful dishes and these are gifts that God has given to each one of you, gifts of faith, gifts of wisdom, gifts of administration, all the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. And I had this picture of God saying, 
this is the feast that I have prepared for Fellowship Jonesboro. And I had another thought right after that, that, that I just felt like I was saying to God, like, sometimes I don't want that food. I'd rather have a piece of white stale bread. <laughs> sometimes I'd rather just keep the gift in the box. And what we're going to talk about today is how spiritual gifts, and specifically the gift of faith in our prayer and in our worship, it's a feast that's already been purchased it's already been made for us. All we have to do is receive it and set the table for our family and for our community. And we're going to talk about how we can change our appetite to where we want to eat those things. And I hope one day that Sam and Melody will enjoy some of those better foods, and, but maybe they'll just want white bread the rest of their lives. I don't know. So we're going to be in James 5, 13 through 18 as we talk about the gift of faith. And uh, I'd like to ask uh, Savannah. Where are you at, Savannah? Come on up. Savannah's going to read our scripture this morning. So if you're um, available or able, available, if you're able, won't you please stand? And Savannah's going to read our text, which is James 5, 13 through 18. Morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. Let's pray. God, won't you activate the gift of faith in this room, in our midst today? Won't you unleash and release your power in specific ways? Won't you lead individuals in this room to sit down at the table to the meal that you have prepared for them? Amen. All right. So uh, this morning in our text, we're going to focus on, on two areas where this gift of faith is both powerful and needed here in our context. There's a lot of language in this message that is specific to this room, to you. Um, and there's a reason for that, because these gifts, when we have response time, it's easy to kind of view all this as, a, as maybe a, an intellectual lecture or a spiritual treatise about something far away. But, but this is intimate. This is close. This is what God wants to do for the individuals in this room, in this church now. So we're going to focus on two areas, prayer and worship. We're going to see a picture of the gift of faith at work in the church body. So here's our big idea. Here's the, the crux of the message. If you're taking notes, the, the big, bold title and heading is that God has given the gift of faith to people in this room. Why? To transform the way we pray, worship, and live in community and mission. It's our big idea. God has given the gift of faith to people in this room to transform the way we pray, worship, and live in community and mission. 
Once again, I say in this room for a reason. It's Like I said, it's easy to view it as a mental exercise or a course. We're going to learn about spiritual gifts. I'm going to have my notebook. I'm going to put it in my, my shelf. I'm going to have that as a resource. All that's great. But this is something that's tangible and God wants to activate in us now, today, this season. I really do believe that. So we're going to look at four points. So if you're, if you're prepping your notebook, I don't know. How many note takers we got in the room? This is unrelated. Raise your hand. Good for y'all. Um, I... I, I don't take physical notes, and I feel really guilty about it. I take digital notes because I, I know I will keep that. I have lost too many notebooks. I just know myself. Don't judge me. Um, point number one, we are to desire the gift of faith. Under a subheading, I have, why should I care about this? <laughs> so you can write that too. Why should I care about this? Why does this matter for me? We are to desire the gift of faith, as we see in this text. And to understand why we should desire it and to help us on the road to desiring it, we have to examine our posture towards spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 says we're to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Why? We eagerly desire spiritual gifts because we desire to be with the Holy Spirit who gives us these gifts. The rhythm for the, of the Christian life is to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you receive the gifts of the Spirit. And like I said at the beginning, we receive these gifts not so that we can say, look at me, I'm a prophet, I'm a healer, I'm a this. We receive these gifts for others. If the purpose or the flavor of, of spiritual gifts is all about a person, it's not right. It's not biblical. Spiritual gifts are meant for the good of the body. They're others facing. They're gifts. God gives them to us to be used. Like I said, I want you to keep the picture of a feast table in your mind. A, a beautiful table, whatever that is in your mind that's like just the best meal you can have, I want you to picture that. But not only do we have to examine our relationship, like we have to realize like our posture towards spiritual gifts, it begins with a relationship, okay? Relationship. We've all been adopted, if we're believers, into the family of God. Romans 8 tells us that the spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures real, real quick, tells us that love is the basis and that and must have for spiritual gifts to be worth anything. To be anything other than a clanging symbol out of time, we have to have love. If I took a symbol, the reason that musicians sound good when they play together is that they're playing together. If you take any one part and play it by itself, it doesn't sound as good. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's point number like three. Sorry. Get excited. Has to be based on love. Love of who? Love of Jesus. First John 4.19 says, we love. Why? Come on, you know it. Say it. Because he first loved us. Relationship. There's no eagerly desiring spiritual gifts without first the knowledge that, that God eagerly desires you. That God made the first move that God prepares these gifts for you. 
Because here's the thing, like, if you've ever been in a relationship, whether it's a, a, we've all been in relationships, but whether it's an impactful relationship, a marriage, your parents, your kids, if it's an impactful relationship, what does it do? It changes your lifestyle. It changes the way you live. That's where desire comes in. I desire to change the way I live. I desire to take care of my kids most of the time. I desire to be with my wife. It begins with a relationship. We can't sidestep that. We can't just look at this series on spiritual gifts and on the gift of faith and say, okay, this is another feather in my Christian hat. No, it's not. This is an outpouring of the love that the Father has for you. And he wants to give you these gifts freely. He wants to activate them in you. So that's some reasons why we should care, why we should desire. Another reason, mentioned it already, spiritual gifts are given for the good of others. Like I said, what goes wrong is when people make spiritual gifts out to be, oh, um, it's about that person. Have you heard of so-and-so? He's a, he's a great something. He's a great this. He's a great that. It's, that's not what it's about. It's not for building us up. It's for building others up. It's for saying, look at what God is doing, not look at what so-and-so is doing. It flows from a hunger and a desire to be used, to be used. Because going back to relationship, if you've been loved in such a deep way, while you were enemies, God loved you. While you were hopeless, while you were dead in transgressions and sin, God saved you. He not only saved you, but he didn't keep you at the curb. He didn't say, you're just a lowly person who really screwed up, but I'm kind of letting you lap at, the, lap at the door here at the table. He set you at the table, and he said, you're my, you're my co He said, you're co-heirs with Christ. That's insane. But if you've been loved that way, if you've been, if you've been carried to the table by God, he gives us through the Holy Spirit a desire to see other people flourish and to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. I want to love. I want to build up. I want to be used. There's that desire. It comes from relationship. But here's another thing why you should care. God's not going to force you. He's not going to make you take a test to see if you deserve spiritual gifts and then grade you on it and go, okay, you got a 68, so uh, no spiritual gifts for you. Uh, go read Romans. <laughs> Come back later, maybe. Uh, he's not going to do that. He prepares a table for us. See, we have got to, honestly, if I'm candid, we've got to do a lot of work kicking out of our minds and our spirits the mentality that we've all been raised with, and it's a mentality of earning. It's a mentality of production. It's a mentality of mm, stuff and I am and I got to do this. Instead, we need to replace that with a mentality that the people of Scripture would have had, and that's a relational understanding of people. That God prepares a table. That means safety. That means acceptance. That means love. That's the context by which we both receive and use spiritual gifts. But God's not going to force you. Just like uh, the reason I use that 
uh, example at the beginning is I don't, when we sit down at our table and I may have made an amazing meal for Sam and Melody and they don't want to eat it, I'm not going to sit there and just try to spoon feed them. It's, it's, they've got to come to it on their own. And, and as a dad, I want to be like, come on, I've made this for you. Or more likely, your, your mom has made this for you. It's really good. But I'm not going to force them. But, but God, like any good father, he wants us to enjoy the gifts that he gives to his kids. And, and here's the thing. We should, as a church, want to see those gifts used among us. Because the reason this series is called Everyone Has a Part to Play is because, guess what? Everyone has a part to play. Each one of you brings a unique gifting. Some of you may be gifted in similar areas, but each of you bring something unique, something that God has given you, that he's given to you alone. And, and not only does, that, does God have a desire to see that being used in, in this room in Fellowship Jonesboro, we should have a desire. When you look at other people around the room, you should see, man, God has gifted them in this way. I want to see God use them. Because if we don't, then we're not going to take the steps to use our gifts to edify and to build up and to pray. So that's setting it up. Why should we care? That's why we should care about spiritual gifts. That's why we should care about this text this morning. So we're going to jump in. Point number two, we're talking about the gift of faith. The gift of faith leads us to pray with authority. And I'm going to move quick because we've got, we got some response time to get to. I may just cut the sermon short. Um, the gift of faith leads us to pray with authority. We pray because we know God still works. And I want to ask you the question. Do you believe that God still works in real, tangible ways? Tangible being things you can see, things you can feel. The text sets up Elijah as an example to model in verse 17. It says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So they're setting up Elijah and saying implicitly in this text that what has happened for him can happen again. And, and scripture confirms that by the, the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. See, we have to pray with authority because we believe God still works. And we, I shared this with the, the um, group of leaders that pray before the church and um, before church starts. And um, a lot of times we view prayer uh, only as a way to commune with God and to be with God, and those are all true. But when we're talking about praying for one another in the gift of faith, as we see in this text, like, it's a weapon. It is something that is used to fight darkness and to pray and to intercede. Pete Gregg, in his book, Dirty Glory, he has a, a great quote about this. It says this, it says, Jesus models... A mystical militancy, wrestling with the devil in the wilderness, rejoicing as he sees Satan fall from heaven, shouting his rebuke to the storm, casting demonic spirits into the abyss. He might, as well be, he might well be viewed as a little extreme by the churches today. Contemplative prayer and quiet conversation with God may not always be enough. 
if we want to truly see the kingdom of God return to this enemy-occupied world, that's important, we cannot avoid a certain aggression in prayer any more than a soldier can avoid his gun or a boxer his fists or a theologian his Bible. Prayer is meant to be something that we come to with expectancy and authority. Not our authority, not I really know how to pray to unlock whatever God has, like viewing it like, okay, I'm Nicolas Cage and God's hidden something in this, in this document that I've got to find that no one else can find and I'm going to be the one that does it. That's not it. can't believe I mentioned Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's good, though. It was a good reference um, because a lot of us treat our Bibles that way. <laughs> And we think like, oh, look at him. He, he really, like God, God really, like he knows how to, how to unlock the, the power of God. Like God wants to give gifts to his kids. And faith is the key. <laughs> and guess what? He wants to give faith to his kids. He wants to give you the key. So we pray because we pray like we see in this text for healing. We pray with faith. Because we believe God still works. And we pray boldly for big things, and then we leave the results to God. So I want to go back to Elijah in our text. So it's easy to think, like, when you read that, and I read it, and I was like, okay, it's Elijah. Of course he had faith. He's Elijah. And it's easy to get discouraged and think, like, well, duh, he's going to have faith. He was bold. But there's a little more to the story than what you see in James 5. So in, in 1 Kings 18, taking you way back, it says this. It says, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. It's fervent prayer. Then he said to his servant, go and look toward the sea. And the servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Unanswered prayer. I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And Elijah shouted. He knew God had answered him. But he, I imagine every time that servant comes back and says, nope, didn't see anything. Elijah says, go, go look again. Seven times. He was persistent. It didn't happen the first time. Didn't happen the second time he looked. Didn't happen the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. The seventh time, the perfect number, it happened. And for many of you, you've been praying prayers that have gone to you unanswered. But I want to encourage you that the, when we're talking about praying with faith, it's not that, okay, God's always going to answer the way that we want to every time. The person's not always going to be healed instantly. But you know what? God will answer. He will. He will answer. We may not see it on this side, but he will answer. Elijah was persistent. He was bold in his prayers. He didn't stop after the first, second time he asked. He could have just, after the sixth time, he could have just been like, all right, don't go look anymore. It's not going to happen. But no, he persisted. He asked him to keep looking. And God asks us to be persistent too, to have faith, to, to keep asking, to keep knocking. 
we've been given authority. When you look at our text, when you see what's happening in community, if you put the text back up there, guys, you see people who are suffering, you see people who are cheerful, you see people who are sick, and you see the church, you see the elders of the church praying in faith, and you see God save people from physical illness, real healings. You see sins forgiven. This is a picture of the beauty of the church. When the church comes together and uses the spiritual gifts that God has given them, you see holistic healing happen in people's lives. So point number two, the gift of faith leads us to pray with authority. Point number three, the gift, oh, sorry, I had three on here. The gift of faith leads us to worship expectantly. We're going to talk about worship because I believe these are linked and they're both needed gifts in our context, in our church. What's the key to worship expectantly? We, we mentioned that. We talk about that as a worship team. We talk about that from the stage. What does it mean? Well, it starts with something called intimacy. Perhaps you're familiar. We believe that we have a real intimacy with a perfect father. We worship. The key to expectancy is believing, A, that God's going to work like we talked about in prayer, but that you've been with the one who is going to work. You know what his character is like. We worship on a foundation of intimacy. God has adopted us. He's drawn us close. That makes us believe that in prayer and in worship that God is going to meet us in a real and tangible way. And here's an example of that. This is something that we've lost a lot of in our culture and as adults. But um, I think about, and all my illustrations are kid illustrations. That's just the season I'm in. I'm sorry. But um, I think about, uh, we have dance parties at our house. And I think about my son Sam. When he dances, he has no inhibitions. He dances and he goes crazy. And he's happy. He's joyful. He expresses himself. And the reason he can do that is because he knows he's safe and because he knows us and he's intimate with us. He knows who we are. He knows who he is. And he can, he can express himself. He can be joyous because he has that level of intimacy with his parents, with his family. We've lost this. The world, the flesh, and the devil want to continue to build up this apathy, this shell of apathy that covers our spirits and, by extension, our bodies, where we don't really feel joy in a real way. And joy, I mean, this is a, you've heard this in one sermon, you've heard it in a thousand. It's true. Joy is not based on circumstance. God gives joy in circumstances that don't that the world looks at and says, you should not have any joy. Joy comes from being in a safe place, fully loved. See, David understood this. 2 Samuel 6 talks about David dancing and leaping before the Lord. I'm not talking about like going crazy, emotionalism, where we jump around and it's chaos and it's crazy, but, but it's important to know that like, and then once again, I'm using in this room context, like in this room, in this city, um, that's usually not our problem. Our problem in worship and in prayer is not we're getting a little crazy. That's not our problem. 
There's a ditch on both sides, and it's important to know which ditch you're closer to. Um, True worship is not just emotional, but it's also just as wrong to reduce worship to stoicism and to an intellectual activity. And I have a quote to back this up from someone who's probably never been accused of being like too emotional or too charismatic or too crazy. Um, Of course, I'm talking about John Piper. Um, John Piper says this. It's a great quote. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of artificial admirers. It's bad. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. We've, we've really lost, lost some of this. And the reason I include worship in this, because um, in my experience, and I know many of your experiences, when you're worshiping the Lord, when you're singing, when you're, when you're lifting up praise to him, that's when he speaks. That's when he moves and he says, you know, the person over there that you see, like, you need to go pray for them. You need to go they need, they, need, they need prayer for healing. You need to go pray for healing for them. That's when God works. It's one of the places he loves to work. And so this, this kind of intimacy, this kind of worshiping in spirit and in truth with our minds and our hearts, with our spirits and our bodies, like that's why posture is important of our bodies. That's why in scripture you see dancing, you see raising of hands, you see all, these are not things that say like, oh, I'm more spiritual than the other person. These are things that God has wired into us. And, and I want to say this. It's not a personality thing either. It, some people are extroverted. Some people are introverted. It's not about that. It's about what God has called us to as his church and stepping out of places that are, that are into places that are uncomfortable. And for people who may be extroverted and have no problem expressing emotion to God, the way that they might have to step into the uncomfortable is to be silent. That's difficult for a lot of people. But on the other hand, for somebody who, who may have, be more comfortable being silent, not approaching people, the way that God, and once again, I think this is probably a lot of us, I'm in that camp. You may not believe it because I'm up here talking to you. But as a 13, 14-year-old, naturally, not my deal, not my strength. God wants to, for those of you who may be introverted and you may be like, it's just not my comfort zone. God knows that. (laughs) And he wants to bring you out of your comfort zone for the good of others. That's what we're talking about. So this kind of intimacy leads to pronounced joy and freedom in worship. So what what I want you to do as we're going to respond soon is when we respond in worship, I want you to really take time to, to, to think about these lyrics and to internalize them and to ask God, God, won't you move through my mind and my spirit, but also won't you move through my body? Won't you help me to respond the way you would want me to respond? Next point. The gift of faith in prayer and worship is desperately needed in this room, in this city, and this world. 
So like I said, gifts are for the common good. The Holy Spirit is called a helper. A gift of faith is not just for your prayer closet. It's for this room. It's for your house. It's for your workplace, your school. The kinds of things you're seeing in this text, prayers for healing, prayers for the uh, confessing of sin, these are things that are supposed to exist in the square, in this room, out in our lives. And we need the gift of faith in this season for our church, for our city. So everything in this text screams community. Everything that's happening in this text is happening in community. You cannot read this text and take away some kind of monistic lifestyle that does not involve other people. And, and, and honestly, what's weird is that with the advent of the internet age, you'd think it would lead to more community, but honestly, it's led to more isolation. And we have to fight against that as Christians. We need the gift of faith. And it talks about this, people who are suffering to pray. And, and here's the thing. When I'm suffering, honestly, sometimes I come to church and I, and I really want to hear, okay, I want to hear a great word from the sermon. I want to hear something that encourages me from the Lord. And sometimes that's what happens. But I think what this text is teaching us and what maybe we miss a lot of times is that sometimes God, God doesn't have what he has for you in what I say or what Chad says or in the sermon. Most of the time he probably does. But what we, we understand that. I think what we miss is that when we respond, when we have these times of worship, when we have these times and we ask and we say, like, let's move about the room and pray for one another, God wants to move in those moments just as much as he wants to move any other moment in the service. Like God wants to impart to you wisdom, love, compassion, all of the things that he gives you in those moments. He wants to meet us sometimes not with an uplifting word, but with a person who will lift us up. There's a difference. There's a difference between somebody saying, hey, you're going to be lifted up, and somebody walking over to you and saying, I will help lift you up. Communities mentioned six times in this text. We need community. It's needed in this room. It's needed in our city. So we're going to talk about application. I'd like to invite the band to come up. What does it look like to take next steps? We spend the rest of the time responding. During this time, we want to pray that the gift of faith that we see in this text would be activated in our church for many of you. It's not a gift everybody is given, but we really do. We're going to take some time to pray and ask God to activate that gift in our church. We're going to have time to pray in faith for healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. Trenton and myself, we're going to be up here if you want us to pray over you. There'll be other people who can pray over you as well. And, um, but what I want us to do is uh, everybody go ahead and stand up. And we're going to practice this. If you've, never, if you've never taken a step out in praying for someone or praying for healing or praying in any context for someone, 
with faith, believing that God will act, your first step is to listen to the voice of God and just to obey and just to go. You may not know what to say. You don't have to know what to say. You just may go up to somebody and say, hey, God told me to pray for you. That's, that's, that's great. That's your first step. But make no mistake, like, this is the practice. This is the moment where we act and, and we learn. So I'm going to pray for us. And what I want us to do is that if, if you need prayer this morning, either for healing, for anything, I want you to raise your hand. We're youth grouping this. I want you to raise your hand. And that takes faith. <laughs> and then all of you who see hands raised, because I'm believing in faith that people, y'all are going to raise your hands. I want you to go and want to surround people with their hands raised. And I want us to practice the gift of faith, practice praying. Because I believe God's going to empower and activate that gift among us as we do this. Let's pray.